This morning, I'm going to start on a series for my own sake, and I've never preached on it, and that is on the seven deadly sins. Now, as I researched that, I suddenly realized that those of you who come from Catholic backgrounds, you know more about this than I do. Because in the Catholic Church, there are two kinds of sins, isn't it? And I learned one word to at least say, the venial and the mortal. And in that category of mortal sins, the seven deadly sins come up. And we'll talk about it in February, on the 9th. But as I thought about it, I said, I'm not ready for my own self to go into the study on sin. Let me tell you up front, this is not one of those things that you're going to get very excited about. Uh, But I do believe it's worth looking into it because I think it's going to make a difference in your relationship with Christ. And I'll tell you why. Which is why I thought I'll do a two-week introduction before we hit the sins. And as we look at that sins, I want you to know that's not an exhaustive list. When Paul writes to the book of Galatians, he adds on more to it. So it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a good one to look into. And I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, When I study for a sermon, I look at lots of books, resources, anything that I can lay my hands on. And some of them are very interesting. So on this one website that taught a lot about the sins, they had something very interesting And that's going to tell you how I feel about it. And I'm going to guess how you're going to feel about it. They had at least 50 or 60 questions that you could answer. And they said, if you go through that, at the end of it, it'll tell you what is your predominant sin. I looked at it and I said, I'm not doing that test. (laughs) How sad or interesting it would be if we did that test. And found out that, you know, you thought you had two or three, but you have more than that. So when it comes to the area of sin, I think most often uh, it is uncomfortable to know it. So I thought for two reasons, before we approach the specifics of these sins... We live in a society, and I'm part of it, where I think most of us don't have a sensitivity to sin. We're very good at knowing other people's sins, but to our own, we sometimes are not aware of it. The second reason, I think, is we have watered down our emphasis of how serious sin is. And I mean in the church. As a culture, I would dare say, our society and sometimes even Christians are preoccupied only with two sins. You want to guess what they might be? Homosexuality and abortion. They're both sins, don't get me wrong. But we put such a high premium on that, that it sometimes angers us, riles us. It causes us to take political positions 
on that topic alone. And I think in the process, we have forgotten the fact that pride is a sin. How about for us in North America to realize that gluttony is a sin? Laziness. And do you know in this list of, and the word that is used is, God hates it, it's an abomination. Those are strong words. And if you and I realize that God hates pride, how am I doing, how are you doing in some of those areas? And so I want to be clear that we don't separate sin into categories. Another sin that sometimes uh, we react to more than other things is divorce. And so I want to break down that whole thing of a hierarchy of sins. And as we start this study, we're not going to talk about the sins of people outside. We're going to talk about our own sin. Not of other people in the church, but we'll allow God's word to look into our own hearts to say, why does God abhor or hate some of these things that we're not even aware we practice, we encourage, and tolerate. And so, I want to invite you, I'm going to ask you to constantly change your thinking, even as we approach this. Because it's not a, gl- gl- it's not a study that's going to be exciting, but I think it should be sufficient for us to move us to a place that's going to be exciting. It's like, you know, if you have cancer, going through chemo is not fun. But if it will heal you to what you can become, it's worth it. Before we can address sin, and the issue is in our society and even in churches today, we have all kinds of definitions on sin. Take any topic that you want. And if you ask 10 people, even Christians, they'll give you five different definitions. And I think that's the wrong place to start. The place to start to understand and appreciate sin is if you grasp the holiness of God. It's God who defines what sin is. And so I want this to be less about us this morning And I want it to be more about God. You know, uh, I guess I'm in many ways no different than most of you. And that is, uh, I know my sins. Sometimes I don't do much about it. And even if I want to do something about it, I, along with Paul, would say, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do wretched man that I am. It's like you telling me, you know, Joe, you eat too many chocolates. I know that. I know I should probably cut down on it. But do you know that in itself is not a great incentive for me? Now, most of you didn't know what happened at business meeting. 
As I was about to settle in for business meeting, someone walked up to me, quietly gave me a bag full of Skittles. I was hoping no one saw it, so I covered it with my hand, put it under my hat there, and when the business meeting was over, moved it from under the hat like a magician, straight into my pocket, took it home, tried to eat it over four days, Got it on Wednesday night. It was gone by Friday. Now you can tell me, you know, Joe, that's too many Skittles for a grown-up man like you to eat over three days. But that's not enough an incentive for me. Now, a better incentive for me would be, Joe, if you stop doing this or if you do this, this is what you will become, or this is the good it will do for you, that is a motivation, isn't it? So when we look at this whole topic of sin, I know I'll lose you if it's just pointing out our sins. That's of no use. But I want you to know why your sin and my sin matters to God, and why is God in this business of pointing out sin? And that is because our God is a holy God. And so I'm hoping this morning you will start on a journey to finding the holiness of God attractive. That you will find the holiness of God something worth imitating. And that incentive be the reason why your and my sin matters. Does that make sense? We've got to grasp the splendor of God's holiness. And I think one of the things, the tragedy of our day and time is, uh, we don't focus too much on God's holiness. I think to myself, and this is not anything about the church alone, but look at how we look at whether it be God's holiness or our sin. When I look at this past week, we had a business meeting, and we spent a couple of hours here. Great meeting. We had a leadership on Tuesday. Uh, We had a deacons meeting the Wednesday before. And guess what is the topic of most of our conversation? Of how do we take care of the church? What do we do? How do we do our ministries? All great topics. But when's the last time you were part of a church meeting where we just met to decide, now how are we going to be a holy people unto the Lord? And that's what I want us to look, because the future of this church or your effectiveness as a Christian is not based on the budget. It's not based on ministry skills. Are those things needed? Absolutely. But you know what it's going to ride on? Is whether we are a holy people unto the Lord. And so I'd like us to forget about everything else in our lives, in our ministries. What do you do? uh, How much do you give? All those are not that important in the grand scheme of things. I think what's central to God's heart when it comes to you and I is, I think he cares deeply on whether we are holy or not. And I'm suggesting to you that in our vocabulary and in our thinking today, We don't spend much time on it. 
So let's study together. We will learn something at least about God, how God looks at us and what he desires out of our life. A couple of scripture passages this morning. This morning I'm going to talk about God's holiness. Next week I'm going to talk about our sinfulness. Very broad brushes, and then we'll go into some specifics. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. That was the passage that Pastor Mike read to us in preparation to worship. And in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, it sets, tells us what to do in verse 14, strive for peace, and then says, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, or putting it differently, without holiness, no one will see God. See, last week we talked about how do we want God to be part of our life, and we said, we're going to be like Isaac. We're going to keep digging wells. Boring, repetitive, sometimes failing work, but you keep doing, you keep digging, at some point God will show up. The question that we are embarking on this week is, how do you develop an intimate relationship with God? Right? What's the spiel we tell other people on the outside? Christianity is not a religion, it is a relationship. Well, I'm talking about the relationship. How do you develop an intimate relationship with God? Let me tell you up front, it's not by doing ministry. It's not by giving money. All those are good things. It's not by loving on people. All those are good things. A relationship with God is something that you develop with God one-on-one. And the question is, how do you get close to God? How does God get close to you? Scripture would indicate to us, without us becoming holy... There's no way you can develop an intimate relationship with God. And the moment you talk about holiness, you have to talk about sin. I know these are not fancy words today in our churches, but the more you look at Scripture, God's not a God who's going to compromise. He wants His people to be holy. So let me set this in perspective. Salvation is not the ultimate goal of a Christian. This might surprise some of you. Salvation is coming into the kingdom of God. Do you know what God desires in each of our lives? It's sanctification. Big word, and I'm going to break it up this morning. Let me read to you some scripture passages to show you the importance of what sanctification is. And the question you need to be asking yourself this morning is, How are you doing in the area of sanctification? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14. For a single offering, for by a single offering, he, that is Christ, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You notice that? So the book, right into the book of Hebrews says, we are being sanctified. And here's what's interesting. Guess who is doing the work with us, for us, in us? 
It is Christ. Jesus in John chapter 17 says, verse 18 to 19, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. How interesting that Jesus would pray to the Father and say, you know, as we go through this cross and resurrection process, my prayer for them is, as I consecrate, as I separate myself, as I purify myself, my prayer is that they, that is, his disciples and us, would be sanctified in the truth. Many passages of Scripture, but I hope I've made the point this morning clearly that God wants and is doing a work of sanctification. So just being saved is not good enough. And I think that's the tragedy. In so many of our churches today, there are people who say they're saved. But you look at their life, you sometimes wonder, don't you? Saved? You look no different from people outside. What's happened? They haven't grown. The work of sanctification, which is a hard work, is not happening. And that's why you sometimes find, even in people who've been believers for 20, 30, 40 years, you don't see much happening. And so I want to draw your attention to the importance of the work of sanctification. Let me put it very simply to you. Salvation is birth. You get pulled into the kingdom of God. You get adopted. You get pulled from hell and you get put into heaven. You are forgiven from your sins. All those wonderful things, which is why it's called good news. But that's not the end. Then you need to start growing in the Lord. Growing in word, growing in stature, growing in maturity, growing in purity. And that whole growing is what sanctification is. And here's the best part. You know who does that work? It is God in us. It's not you and I trying to work on our own lives, trying really hard. We allow God to do the work of sanctification. It's God who sanctifies. And so, here's the reason why there is no excuse for a believer not to grow and not to be sanctified. Because the work of sanctification is not dependent on you. It is the work of God. Now, you can resist that. You can choose not to participate in it. But it's not an option. God wants to sanctify you. God promises sanctification. And he is the one doing that work of sanctification. My question to you is, are you a willing participant or not? Are you allowing God to do that work? And in that work of sanctification, you cannot be sanctified if you don't address the issue of sin. You see that? They are very related. You cannot be holy unto the Lord if you're not going to deal with the issue of sin in your life. Notice I said, forget for a moment 
everything that you do for the Lord. That's great. This morning we're not talking about what you're doing. We're talking about who you are. And God has started the work of sanctification in our life. I want to make sure that we approach this topic with a good attitude. Because I hope when you hear the word sin, you're not tuning off. And as I said, you have to have a motivation as to why you're going to deal with sin in your life. And I'm hoping it is because you find God's holiness very attractive. Unless you find God's holiness very attractive, very inviting, you won't take sin seriously. Look at some of the action words that you have. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you were in Hebrews, just turn over. In 1 Peter chapter 1, if you look at verse 16, and I'm going to back up from verse 15 and 16 and then go to 13. Peter writing to the church says in verse 15, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. I want you to uh, put an asterisk in your mind where Peter says you've got to be holy in all your conduct, not just in one area, but in everything. Hang on to that thought. Since it's written, verse 16, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, it's a no-brainer. God wants you to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. It's not just for your sake. God's saying that if you want to be like me, if you belong to me, if you belong to my kingdom, behave like the king. Think like the thing, king. And so he says, be holy. But this is what I want you to find. Look at verse 13. Since you've got to be holy, what should you do? Prepare your minds for action. The Greek translation of the words there is actually, gird up your loins. Now, picture with me the Old Testament times. Men wore their long robes. And scripture is saying before you start to run to this action of holiness, gather up all those flowing things that are going to cause you to stumble, tighten them up, get, let's get ready for action. This is exciting and we don't want to stumble on the way. What a great way to look at holiness, isn't it? To say this is exciting I'm going to do what I need to do about sin in my life because I am going to be holy. I want to look like my father, so I am going to get ready. Who's coming with me? We don't take that attitude, do we, when it comes to sin? We grumble about it. We make excuses about it. If we can blame others, that's great. And then we just throw it away to the side and go on with life and ministry because that's exciting. And I want to bring us to a screeching halt this morning and say, uh-uh, you can't move on because holiness matters to God. And if holiness matters to God, sin matters to God. And so I hope this morning you will be a willing participant when we look at the issue of sin. But as I said, 
You're not going to appreciate the topic of sin unless you appreciate the topic of holiness. Unless holiness is something that you desire. Unless holiness is something that you find attractive. Unless holiness is something that you find so appealing that you'll do whatever you can, you'll never look at sin seriously. And I think part of the problem why for many of us we haven't taken sin the way God looks at us is because we don't know what holiness looks like. And God's holiness is a consuming fire, isn't it? He will scorch sin. If that doesn't scare you and I, we, sin wouldn't bother us. Which brings me to the whole question, you know, why this push for holiness and sanctification? So many people, do you know, in Christendom haven't heard the word sanctification? Sadly. So you would ask yourself, you know, why are we... Why would we want to study this whole topic? Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. And this is where I hope a glimpse of heaven and a glimpse of God in his glory would excite you. You know, people like Isaiah and John were given the privilege of a sneak peek into heaven. And they tried hard to put it into words, didn't succeed. But listen to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Stop for a moment. Another word for train is the hem. Okay, we're not talking about all of his robe. We're just talking about the little bit of a hem. And what does it say? It filled the temple. Can you imagine that? If any of you have got a grasp of it, would you raise your hand and explain it to the rest of us who just can't get it? Isn't that amazing? That the hem of God's robe, and who knows what his robe looks like, but whatever it is, that hem was so amazing that it filled the temple. I hope that excites you. And it says, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. Now, imagine that for a moment. God in all his holiness and glory, you can't see him. You can't look at him and survive, so you cover your eyes. He is so holy and good that you don't want to show him your dirty feet. So you cover that. And you fly. This is the seraphim. And what are they shouting? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And as they do that, Uh, let me make a small point here. Notice that the word holy is repeated thrice. That's the importance of the word holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. You never find loving, loving, loving is the Lord Almighty. Forgiving, forgiving, forgiving is the Lord Almighty. God is forgiving. But when it comes to the holiness of God, 
Oh, it is so fabulous that they sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Notice what happens. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isn't that amazing? When God whispers, the universe shakes. Folks, he has an awesome person to stand before. God is not an ordinary person. We should not even lightly use his name. When the word Jesus comes to your mouth, pause, think, be reverent, because it's not an ordinary name. It's that name under which every knee is going to bow. And so when Isaiah says God in all his And he sees the seraphims doing everything they can. When he speaks, the place shakes. And I want you to know what immediately happens. Pause and look up. So Isaiah, the first event in Isaiah's vision is he sees God in all his holiness, isn't it? And he says, wow, amazing. I can't stand it. I can't see it. Uh, I have to fall and worship him. The moment he recognizes God's holiness, you know what's the first thing that hits him? Look at what happens next. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My hope and prayer is, you would get to know the holiness of God. And because you've seen the holiness of God, what's the first thing that should happen? You see the sin in your life. I believe that's how it works. That's why there's no point talking about sin without talking about the holiness of God. It's the holiness of God that defines and shines the light of sin. And so, if you really want to deal with sin in your life, you know what you should do? Draw near to God. Let God's holiness be the antiseptic and cleansing of your sin. I hope you realize some things, and I am sure you caught it. When you catch a glimpse of God's holiness, The first thing that happens is not finding out the sin of other people. How good we are about other people's sin, right? We can catch it. We can sense it. We can tell them what it is. That's not what first happens. What first happens is an awareness of your own sin. So let me ask you and me the question this morning. How aware are you about your sins? You may or you may not know much about your sins, but I'm going to give you something much more appealing, and that is uh, come into the presence of God. Spend time in his holiness. Admire that and find that attractive enough that you'll do anything about sin.
There has to be an appeal greater than the conviction of sin. And that appeal for us this morning ought to be, God is holy and I love his holiness. I admire his holiness. I covet that kind of holiness. I'll do anything to become holy. Why? Because God is holy. I want to be like my God. It has nothing to do about what ministry you want to do. It has nothing to do with whether you want prosperity for your children or for your own life. It has to do purely with the fact that you have a relationship with the holy God. He is holy and he's not going to become your buddy by becoming sinful. That's impossible. God's not going to make the movement towards sin. Sinful people have to make the movement towards God. And God demands it. God demands it. And so, why this push for holiness and sanctification? Let me give you three bullet points on which I want you to understand holiness. Holiness is not having a halo behind your head. Holiness is not, you know, walking piously and uh, not saying anything lest you might sin. That's not holiness. Holiness, first of all, is knowing that you are separated by God. It's the key about holiness. And it comes from that perspective that our God, that you and I claim to be God, there's only one of that God's kind. If someone were to say, "Give me an exa- uh, define God to me and give me two examples, you can't do it because there's only one example of God. So part of your thinking ought to be in your own thinking that there aren't many gods and our God is one of the best you can find. There aren't many ways to God. There's only one way to one God. All through the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? First Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Psalm 86, verse 8 to 10. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. So all through scriptures, we are taught there is only one God. Distinct, different, absolutely unique. And because he is like that, he calls us to be distinct. And so the first framework in your mind when you think about God calling you to be holy is an understanding that you have to be distinct. We live in a world today, sadly, there are many Christians who are trying to reach to worldly people and they think that the best way to do that is to behave and look and talk like them. That's not biblical. In fact, God has called us out of darkness into light. We've been adopted out of Satan's family to a royal priesthood. We are not called to be arrogant in the world, but we're called to be different. 
And in this very politically correct day and age, yes, there are a lot of people think that different means being obnoxious. No. There is a difference between two genders. There are a lot of things that are different. Different is good. Different is sometimes unique. And Christians are called to be uniquely different. You have a different identity. You have a different God. You have to have a different lifestyle. You have a different way of living to display the glory of God. Secondly, not only are we separate, but God does call us to purity. Psalm 24, verse 3 to 4, we saw that a few months ago. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. You cannot come into the presence of the Lord with sin. Got to clean up. God is a holy God. And so, who can ascend to the holy hill? Who can enter into God's presence? One who comes forgiven, cleansed, and is being sanctified. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 7 talks about Moses saying, Consecrate, God telling Moses and his people, Consecrate yourselves therefore, And be holy. And in the Old Testament, there was a process how you consecrate yourself. And again, it says, you notice how they go together. Consecrate yourself. Be holy. Again, why? Because God says, I am holy. One more scripture passage on that. 2 Chronicles 29.31 Hezekiah is the one who says this. Now you have consecrated yourself to the Lord. Come near. Bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the Lord. You notice, consecration was required before you could come with your offerings. And it all ties with the principle all through Scripture, a holy God will not tolerate sin. And who defines sin? It's God. And so purity. When you think about holiness, the first thing that should strike you is, I am called to be distinctly different from the world. Secondly, I am called to be pure. You know, it's sad that we often, when we think of the word purity, we immediately think about young people and sexual purity. Purity is much more than all of that put together. And the question that I would ask you and I as we go along is, are we pure? Are we separated? And so keep these thoughts in mind because you're going to find that holiness is not one attribute, one part of your life. Holiness covers everything. And thirdly, I want you to notice that in God's character... We would say God is loving, God is good. God is a God of justice, isn't he? You can stack up a lot of attributes about God. And you would be right. He is forgiving. 
God is generous. God is a great protector. God is Jehovah Jireh. I can go and list you many things about who God is. Do you know when it comes to holiness, it's not just another attribute of God. God is holy in everything. God is holy in his justice. God is holy in his forgiveness. And the reason that should make a difference is, if you are going to be like God, which is the call, I hope you don't in your mind say, hey, as I work on different areas of my life, I'm going to add holiness as a different category. Holiness covers all of your life. Holiness covers the way you speak, the way you think, the way you work. It's not an entity that sits by itself. It covers everything in our lives. So when God says, be ye holy, he means in everything be holy. When you go to work, how well do you keep your work hours? Be holy in that. I love the tax season because I'm, we're one of those families who gets something back from the IRS that the government holds on for about 12 months. I like doing my taxes because we get something back. God would say, be holy when you do your taxes. And so in every area of your life, God's call is, be holy. Now, here's the question. If you don't know what sin looks like, how would you know how to be holy? And that's the journey we want to go in, is to say, let's stop looking at ourselves and defining what's right and wrong. Let God's holiness reflect us. And like Isaiah, you're going to have two quick realizations. When you get to know God and his holiness, you're going to say, wow, amazing. That is glorious. And before you can finish that, you're going to hit the floor and say, wretched person that I am. And so it's more than an attribute. It is the nature. Now, let me bring this to a close. Because I do want to say, how will this affect your and my life? And it is much more than just a spiritual uh, transformation that God does in your life. My point is, it's going to affect everything in your life when you're spiritually holy unto the Lord. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 20. It's about Moses. And I was thinking this morning, what a famous guy Moses is, isn't he? They still make movies on him. He was a significant guy, wasn't he? Brought this whole people out of the slavery brought them into the land. God did phenomenal miracles through him. He was the voice of God. When you come to Numbers chapter 20, there's a story that some of you are familiar with, but I'd like to look at it uh, closer this morning. So let me read to you from verse 10. Now Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff 
twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, now what you don't know there is God already got angry with Moses. He says, because you did not believe in me, and listen to these next few words, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What a sad story. God had told Moses to speak to the rock. And he did what he did the last time, which was hit the rock. Now, you and I can argue, come on, God. For a man who did so much for you, is this a big deal? And I want you to see what is the big deal. A big deal enough that God's not going to allow him to have the privilege of walking into the promised land. Something that God had promised him, isn't it? And think about it. Yeah, the guy made a mistake. That's what we would have said, right? The guy made a mistake. I mean, he didn't get it all that much. Last time he was met, he just forgot. He got so stressed. The people are grumbling, Pastor Joe. You need to know how stressful that is. Everyone's at his throat. So the guy hit the rock. And look at God's reaction. But if you look closely, I don't think what God's upset so much is the fact that he hit the rock. Yes, that was disobedience. If you look closely, God says, his issue is, you did not believe in me to uphold me as what? Holy. And if I were to understand that closely, I think what God's saying is, Moses, your disobedience and sin was that you hit the rock. You didn't listen to me. But your greater problem is, you did not consider me holy. You were careless and irreverent to my word. Otherwise, why wouldn't Moses listen to God? Think about it, right? A God who spoke so clearly face to face... Why didn't Moses get it? Moses didn't get it because I think he lost for a moment the fact that it was a holy God who he had to have much more reverence for. And that's where I'd like to close this morning to challenge you and I is have we gotten so careless and irreverent of a holy God? Are you scared of his holiness? Are you worried? Does his holiness drive fear into you? And if it doesn't, sin would thrive in our lives. So, let me close by being a little more appealing. And this is what I want you to think about. God wants you and I to be holy. There are two ways you can approach this. Now I've got to deal with my sin. 
Or you could say, how amazing that God wants me to be like him, holy. I'm going to do whatever it takes. Two very different attitudes. And you're going to pick either of those two attitudes depending on what your focus is going to be. If you're going to make it all about yourself, you're going to have an attitude with sin that's not serious. If you're going to make it all about God, you'll deal with the sin in your life. Let me close with a very poor analogy, but I think it might work for the sake of argument. If you're a person who admires some good-looking person of your gender, and you sometimes say, I wish I could be like that person, whoever that is. Imagine that person coming to you and secretively telling you, you know what, I'll pay for all your plastic surgeries. I'll do everything for you. You'll, we'll make sure you look like me. Now, I don't think any of us would take that person on that offer, but the principle is, if you wanted to be like someone and you were given that opportunity, most of us would grab it. How about God coming to you and saying, I'll do the work of sanctification in you. I want you to be and look like me. Does that sound appealing? I hope so. So I hope you don't look at sin and say, uh, got to do something about it. I hope you look at sin and say, yes, I want to do something about it because I want to be holy unto the Lord. So where you come to the topic of sin is going to make a big difference as to how you're going to respond. And I present to you, to you, the God that you worship who is purely, perfectly holy and wants you to be holy. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how attractive this sounds to all of us, but I would be one of the first to say that we don't dwell on your holiness too much. Very often we, if we do do the exercise of allowing your spirit, we come this much and no further on the topic of sin. And my prayer this morning is that, like Isaiah, we would see, first of all, you high and lifted up. That we would catch a grasp of who you are. And my fear is, there are many of us who really don't know who you are. We don't know that you are holy, glorious, amazing, perfect, and because of who you are, we have no choice but to gladly submit to a wonderfully holy God. And so my prayer, Father, for each of us this morning is between your word, your spirit, and your presence, may we fall in love with the holiness of God. May it attract us. May it draw us to you. And then leave it to you to do the work of sanctification. 
we must be sanctified. Do that work in us. For we pray and submit in Jesus' name. Amen.